0: Before we get started, I want to try something with you all. The number one way to grow a podcast is through reviews. And so this is what we're going to do. Currently, Founders Journal sits at, I believe, 341 reviews. Right now, today, we're starting the race to 500. So whether it's right now or right after you finish the episode, I would love for you to go to the Apple Podcast app and leave a review. You can select the number of stars that you want to rate the show, and then type in something. You can say what you think about the show, what you think about me, be honest. But I want to get this from 341 to 500 reviews as quickly as possible. The way that you become a top show on Apple Podcast is by increasing your number of reviews as quickly as possible. And so my goal is to get to 500 reviews by the end of May, the absolute latest, and if we're able to do that, I will set up a happy hour, AMA, Q&A, whatever you want to call it, for me and all of my listeners. So if we get to 500 reviews on the Apple Podcast app before the end of the month, I will arrange a happy hour for any Founders Journal listeners to come hang, meet other listeners, and to chat with me. So right now or after the episode, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave a review, select the number of stars, and get that number closer to 500. Thanks, everyone now onto the show. What's up, everyone. This is Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. Welcome back to Founders Journal, my personal audio diary, where I give you the business builder, the tools you need to think better in order to build better, whether that's building a business, a team or a new product. Today's episode is an intro to one of the best thinkers in business and one of the best lenses to look through in order to understand big businesses today. I'm gonna walk you through aggregation theory. It's a business framework that was originally introduced by Ben Thompson, who is a renowned technologist and business analyst. So let's hop into it. First of all, if you don't know Ben Thompson, do yourself a favor and start following him. There are three or four thinkers in the world that have profoundly changed my worldview of business. And Ben is hands down one of those people. Ben has a daily newsletter called Strategery, where he analyzes some of the most interesting technology companies in the world, like Netflix, Spotify, Apple, and more. You can sign up for his newsletter for free and you'll get it once a week. And then if you pay $100, you'll get his newsletter, Strategery every single day, it's daily. And one of the things that put Ben Thompson onto the map was his introduction of something called aggregation theory in 2015. What happened was Ben wrote back-to-back pieces about Airbnb, Netflix, and the evolution of media from print to digital. And he noticed that there was a through line that tied together the story of these three separate pieces. And so he came up with this theory to describe that pattern that ties together some of the largest companies in the world aggregation theory explains why some businesses are so powerful, so defensible, and only get more powerful and defensible with each day that passes. In one sentence, aggregation theory says that some of the most dominant companies in the world became dominant by doing three things. First, they have a direct relationship with their customer Two. There is zero marginal cost to serve their customer. And three, they have network effects. I'm going to unpack each of these qualities so you understand aggregation theory fully. And so you can identify aggregators moving forward and understand why they wield so much power in society today. So let's go to the first. The first quality that I mentioned was having a direct relationship with the user. This is the most straightforward of the three but it's what makes aggregators so incredibly valuable because they own the customer relationship. If in the past on Founders Journal, you've heard me talk about how when I create content on Twitter, Instagram, or any other social platform that I don't own the relationship with my followers, I just rent that relationship, this is what I was referring to. Google is actually the best example of an aggregator, so I'm gonna break them down for a second. Google is the most trafficked site on planet Earth. There are 63,000 searches that happen every second on the site. By the end of this episode, there will have been 50 million searches that happened on the platform since you started listening. Google's power is in its relationship with you, the user. When you search something on Google, you are Google's customer. You're not the customer of the website that you end up going to. Google captures your data. They monetize you. They recommend the most relevant content for you to click on. And Google is the website that you go to when you want to find an answer. And so just so you have a comparison around like what it looks like to own your relationship versus not own it, take most retail companies that sell through brick and mortar, which many of them do. So let's say you're Patagonia and let's say you sell pullovers through Bloomingdale's. You don't own the customer relationship as Patagonia, Bloomingdale's does. Bloomingdale's has your information as the customer, they know what you bought, and they can market to you moving forward because they have things like your email address or your credit card information. Beyond getting the sale, if you're Patagonia, you haven't learned anything about your customer. That's the first characteristic of aggregators, you own the user relationship. Now, number two, the second relationship of aggregators is that there is zero marginal cost for serving users. Let me explain what that means. If you're an aggregator, you don't incur any of the marginal costs that most businesses have to. So take Airbnb. All Airbnb does is provide a great user experience for the customer or the renter to find homes or apartments for rental. Airbnb doesn't have to worry about the normal costs that most businesses do in serving their customers because they're not the supplier of the product. There's no such thing as cost of goods sold for Airbnb because they are simply aggregating supply or homes or apartments, and they're playing matchmaker for demand, which are the people who want to rent homes or apartments. Whereas let's say your t-shirt business, you have to incur the cost of each additional t-shirt to serve each customer. Airbnb doesn't have any marginal cost for adding another customer on the platform because if someone decides to find a place to stay on their platform, Airbnb isn't paying for it. They are simply just connecting that person with the home or the apartment that they were looking for. On top of that, Airbnb also doesn't have to deal with distribution costs because their business exists on the internet. Unlike, say, a fulfillment based business like Amazon, which literally has to ship physical goods everywhere across the world, Airbnb is built on the internet and the internet has made delivering goods zero cost. That's the second quality of aggregators. The third and final characteristic of an aggregator are network effects. And if you want a full deep dive on network effects, you should check out the recent founder's journal I did on the topic. It was dedicated to network effects as a business strategy. I'll link to it in the show notes so you can check it out if you want. But basically, all that this means is an aggregator gets more valuable over time for the user and aggregators find that the cost of acquiring new customers goes down over time as well, which is completely opposite from what most businesses experience. For most businesses, when you start your company, when you achieve product market fit, your initial customers are generally your most passionate, your most loyal, and your perfect fit customers. As you grow your company, you find that the quality of your customer goes down because it isn't a perfect fit. Aggregators are different in that regard. It actually costs less to get good customers moving forward, whereas for normal businesses, as you expand, you have to pay more to convince less perfect customers to join your company or buy your product. What that also means is aggregators generally operate in a winner-take-all fashion because it becomes increasingly difficult for any companies in the industry that an aggregator plays in to compete at scale If not only does the product get more valuable for users, but it also gets cheaper to acquire users. So take Uber as an example. As time has gone on, Uber has gotten more and more valuable for both supply, which is drivers, and demand, the riders, because of its network effects. Once Uber had some critical mass of drivers and riders after they launched, what happened was this virtuous cycle began where new users joined the platform because they had heard about this new and easier way to get from point A to point B. And then as more users joined, more drivers joined because they realized that more and more demand was being sent their way. And as a driver, this could actually become meaningful income for you. And then as more drivers joined, it made the experience even better for riders because riders now had to wait for less and less time to pick up their Uber because there were more drivers on the platform. And when that happened, that attracted more and more new riders because riders now had an even better experience to have a car pick them up and take them from point A to point B even quicker. This is the virtuous cycle of network effects. So tie together these three things, that is aggregation theory. And just a few final thoughts for you to keep in mind as you reflect on this framework and as you use it as a lens for evaluating businesses and industries moving forward. First, you don't have to be an aggregator to build a massive business. Many large businesses like Facebook, like Airbnb, like Uber, like Google are aggregators, but you also have huge companies that are not. Apple is not an aggregator, but it is the largest company in the world right now. Apple does control the relationship with the end user, but the marginal cost of a consumer isn't zero since they have to pay for each additional phone that they send to a user. And the company doesn't have network effects generally, other than with its app store. Second, you need to have all three properties that I described to be an aggregator. You need to own the customer relationship, you need to have zero marginal costs when you add customers, and you need to have network effects. The third and final thing to keep in mind about aggregators is that the winner takes all nature of these types of businesses has opened them up to a ton of regulatory scrutiny. You've seen Google and Facebook constantly under the gun by US and European regulators for their supposed monopolistic behaviors over the last several years. That said, the type of power that big tech companies and specifically aggregators have today looks completely different from the power of the monopolies of old, like Railroad companies, utilities, telecom companies, and oil companies. So my hope moving forward is that not only do you understand aggregation theory, but that you use it as a lens for understanding large tech businesses, but also as a foundation for either dreaming up a potential aggregator of your own or being vigilant if you're in an industry that is a breeding ground for an aggregator. I know there's a ton of moving parts to this. This could have been like a 30-minute episode. So reach out if you have any questions, and I'll do my best to answer them. Just shoot me a note at at morningbrew.com. As always, thanks so much for listening to Founders Journal. This community truly is incredible. It is growing so fast, yet it is more engaged than ever. And I feel so grateful every time I get to put an episode out for you all. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next episode.